Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Lauren Luloff received her MFA from the Milton Avery School for the Arts, Bard College, and her BFA from Penn State University. Her recent solo exhibitions have been with Cezanne and Benetier in New York, Geneva, and Luxembourg, Halsey McKay Gallery in East Hampton, New York, Marlboro Chelsea in New York, Anaruma Gallery in Naples, and The Whole Gallery in New York. Recent group exhibitions include Gallery Lalong, Tanya Bondakar Gallery, Canada Gallery, Marlboro Gallery, and the Queens Museum in Queens, New York, as well as the Knoxville Museum of Art. Her work has been reviewed and featured in the New York Times, Art in America, Vogue Magazine, The Village Voice, and The Brooklyn Rail, among others. She lives and works in Brooklyn, New York. I talked to Lauren at her current solo show about nature, materiality, experimental music, free downloads, and a whole lot more. Here's our conversation. I guess, where should we start? We can start with... You as a youngster in New Hampshire. Yeah. New Hampshire. It's really beautiful there. <laughs> yeah, it seems almost Canadian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, my memories of my childhood feel ridiculous to me. Like, um, I really... Storybook way? Yeah, yeah, like, there were literally meadows, fields of flowers, and people's, you know, between the yards in New Hampshire, and... I would take these really long walks past this farm and then into the farm and into the hills. And there were like sheep grazing in the hills and there were literally like rolling mountains and flowers. And it was, um, I was trespassing, but I felt that it was okay. And it was so beautiful. And, you know, my friends, my best friend's backyard, there was like this incredible woods with like trees that had fallen over, turning up land over little rivers. I mean, it was like so magical and we went to the beach like all the time in the summer oh so you were close to the to the water yeah just um close to portsmouth yeah so that's sort of it was a very idyllic beautiful um world that i i spent a lot of kind of like alone time exploring those areas or with my best friend johanna stevenson Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) from new hampshire um yeah we just kind of got lost in this sort of fairy tale World, it was really um, kind of romantic. Yeah, but you had um, you were saying you were the middle child, right? So you had brothers and or brothers and or sisters. Yeah, I have an older sister and a younger brother. Um, I feel like close in age, or they're like two and a half years above and below. It's close enough to hang out and explore the yeah. picturesque wilderness together. But these these explorations were more on my own. Yeah. Yeah, I sort of they were departures from family and from sibling rivalry and I mean even just in my own yard I was like making mashes of like berries and stuff, you know, God, whatever. Your parents could just say, "Go ahead, go out, be home for dinner" sort of thing, right? Yeah, I could just hang out. Yeah, and in our neighborhood it was like kind of a cul-de-sac and um yeah, we could go to the neighbor's house and just walk around. The, we could be free in the neighborhood. It was totally... I could I could really just get lost in nature and 
my imagination and finding toads and <laughs> capturing them in the sandbox. And yet you somehow decided to move to Brooklyn. Yeah. That's jumping way ahead. In my, but that's kind of, yeah, how, you know, well, we'll get to that. Yeah. That's a big shift. Yeah, that was a while later. So did that being outside and just exploring teach you to be creative in a way? Um, I think so, because it was, for me, like I was saying, it, it was sort of a private act. It was sort of, um, I would really often be alone or with one friend who we could be intimate in a way that we sort of were in our own worlds, you mm-hmm. know, we just sort of dip into that imaginary space, which I think is actually really similar to painting, um, or sculpting. Like I remember, um, when I first made like sculptural paintings at Penn state, actually mm-hmm. like sitting on the floor and using yarn and paint in a really different way for making a painting that I was like, Oh, I feel like I'm a little kid playing with Barbie dolls. Like that sort of, it was like, it activated that same, like hand to lap yeah. playing space and head down and you know just like intricate movements with the hand um yeah and I feel like even Barbie dolls is like similar to like you know just this imaginary space of telling stories with little figures and movements and yeah that play space I think is yeah. really important so when you ended up going to school, were you was art class a place that could extend that into your education? Well, I was really lucky in high school even. Um, I felt like my teachers, um, Holly Foy and James Ritchie in, in Pennsylvania, in mm-hmm. State College, they were so awesome. Like They just really let me... Um, do my own agenda in class like they were I like wanted to work on canvas I wanted to make big abstract paintings I wanted to paint in the corner listening to music while the class was doing something else like they sort of just let me go and it was I really needed that I needed that freedom but that's in that's in college that was in high school oh in high school yeah so, wait yeah, where did you really, went to high school uh, state high in, oh yeah. I see oh so when did you move I uh Oh, okay, so I moved to Pennsylvania when I was 10. That's a big shift to college town. I mean, maybe similar out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, there were still really beautiful places close to me that were like wooded and parks and creeks. And there was still that, but it was definitely more populated and dense and the ocean was gone. That was sad. Um, But it was a cool place to grow up because you had all of um, what Penn State could offer yeah. within walking distance, like the art museum and also like the agricultural grounds and the flower gardens and free movies and that were like art films. It, yeah. was, it was nice growing up there. So it seems like a lot of people who grow up in State College from the jump have a little bit of an anti-State College thing, maybe just being around the university all the time, or, you know, they're just begging to get out or there's they're feeling a little conflicted about the university versus like growing up in school there. But since you came from outside, you weren't in there from the get go. Oh, Do you think true. that yeah, maybe. lessened the blow of it a bit? Yeah. I mean, I was a townie. Yeah. <laughs> I hung out um, yeah. at the wall, you know, Penn mm-hmm. State, uh, or like old main, the wall there. Um, you mean the one that's like a semicircle uh-huh. where when you talk in one side you can hear you know that trick? Yeah. 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 That area. Yeah. You know, I was like around like like hunt we call you know, we were the townies. I don't know, it was sort of um we had pride in state college, like being the locals, 
versus uh, the college students who would kind of come and trash the place and right. then go away and leave us alone for the summer and for holidays, yeah. which was really nice when the town like emptied out. I, I really liked it there. Um, actually, when I was applying to other schools, I really wanted to go to like an art school, and that was sort of out of reach for, you know, it just seemed I wasn't ready to put myself in debt in that way. But Did your parents teach at Penn State? Yeah, my yeah. dad uh, taught at Penn State, so it was. So you got a good deal. Oh, that's it was a hard so deal to pass amazing. Up. Yeah, it was very affordable, and for an art student, that's really, really yeah. amazing. To Especially get. these days, tuition. You know, like yeah. not the date us, but it's it climbed for everyone over the. So I think that's a pretty sweet deal, hard to pass up. But yeah, I think definitely. You got lucky in a way because it's a pretty good school. I know. I mean, people don't realize that. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> it was really good. You can get out of it what you want to get out. Like, you can, if you go there motivated, you can really, I think, take advantage of some, some great, if not rustic facilities that really have some charm and, you know, and, and faculty when we were there. I think we probably had the same faculty when I was in undergrad, undergrad as when you were undergrad. Uh, you know, really fostered like an energy and an excitement about working. Yeah, and they they were so amazing, and they sort of kind of gave me this spirit of what it is to be an artist and to really be communal and to um, share ideas and to be deep in this way. Like yeah. it was so um, exciting to be in that community. And going back recently, um, I was there in April and spent a lot of time on Penn State. And I was like, oh, it's still here, that energy of everyone being so excited yeah. and really taking everything very seriously. And it's nice to, you know, step out of uh, the competition of, like, the New York art world and just go to Penn State where it doesn't feel competitive. It feels really nurturing. And I'm not sure, actually, that I feel like there's so much competition here. Maybe that's not... but. There's an added weight here, right? Of just yeah, the machine of survival. Of, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's good when you're trying. Well, I think it's it's good when you're trying to develop to maybe not have to worry about all that stuff. Worry about everything that you do when you're in New York, and just be yeah. able to focus on your work. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind definitely. of like you know, um, building a boat when you're swimming. Do you know totally. what I mean? Like, yes, it's, sometimes really it's good to get good out of the analogy. water and be able to like construct it and then float it once you're ready to hit the ocean. Yeah, I think that might be why so many people here do residencies. They, they have to get out. They yeah. have to get out. Yeah, because it is very. It can be. Well, draining. real estate too is so difficult now more than ever. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like just like comical. It's not, it's not quite so easy. Like when I first moved, it was so easy to just find a spot. It wasn't yeah. nice, but you could find a spot to work. I know. No, it's not even, you know, that's not a given at all. It's it's really difficult to find that space. Yeah, and I moved here 2002 in the very beginning of the year, and it was like $500 for 500 square feet in Williamsburg. That was like the going rate, and that was like, okay, great. I have this like... It's a lot, but you can do it. Yeah, yeah. it's $500, okay. Yeah, that's totally cool. Or like maybe $700, but you'd get 700 square feet of live mm-hmm. workspace. And yeah. it was like, ooh, can I make it? And it was like, then you had this big raw space you could make a mess in, and you just maybe had to figure out where you're going to take a shower. But it was like really, you know... It's doable. <laughs> it's doable. Especially right out of school, because you know, yeah. you're, you're willing to, to rough it a bit. Yeah, and it's but now, so exciting. I don't, I don't even know no, how many of those spaces exist. No, 
sense. And there is something, I guess, nice and safe about building codes being enforced and, you know, yeah, and the quality true. of life of, you know, a good fire uh, yeah. system and all that stuff. But it, there's, I feel like there's less of those, you know, kind of ad hoc spaces where you could just pile people in. And yeah. So that makes it more difficult, too, I think, as an emerging you know, person coming to the city. Yeah, it's really, I really hope that something changes in the next few years um, with some kind of, uh, like, control of the rent, you yeah. know, some, something to stabilize things because it feels, it feels kind of cruel and greedy and wrong. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, and so much of the art, so many of the artists have sort of made those neighborhoods or kind of given a lot of creativity to those neighborhoods which define their sort of artistic draw for a lot of people but then they can't afford to be there anymore yeah and then also the people who came before them like the you know like latino neighborhoods that are just feeling so good and you get there and you're like oh i love this neighborhood i love the food here i love this and that and then those people are also kind of moved out i don't know it's very it's kind of sad being in new york for so long and just seeing that change pushes all these pushes and these bigger buildings and you kind of get used to seeing constant construction and you kind of get I don't know a little bit numb to it but it never really feels good to see all these what my son likes it (laughs) to see the cranes and the diggers (laughs) yeah exactly he's like this is great yeah this is awesome it's like a giant Tonka set that comes to life yeah it's like digger digger crane but um, I don't know there's something that it just feels really stressful to see constant uh, building yeah but the community is so important even if it's hard to be in it i think you know well we could get into that so in at penn state and talk about that because i think a lot of students who listen to this especially from that school you know are interested in how you what the process was i get so many questions about like what do i do after graduating do i go straight to grad school do i take time or you know what's what's kind of there's there's no formula but you know what's the formula basically and yeah. I mean what was I think it's good for them to just hear experiences so like what was your how did you come into the program how did you feel about it how did you leave yeah well I had sort of a different experience because I lived in state college already so I had already moved out I had an apartment and then I started going to take classes at Penn State part-time while I was sort of still thinking maybe I'd go to art school so Mm -hmm. my first year at Penn State I just took two classes a semester and I took like Eastern philosophy poetry women's studies just things that I really wanted to learn about and I was just painting on my own in an apartment that was a really fun year that was really special I'm working at the library in a coffee shop that was really nice and I loved the classes I took so much they were like really um life changers um and then I finally decided okay I'm not going to go to art school I'm going to go to Penn State so I applied right away to the BFA and I didn't get in because I hadn't taken an art class yet but they were very receptive to me and encouraging and Helen let me into her painting class Mm -hmm. and sort of she sort of took me under her wing and let me um you know she let me into class that was already full and yeah I just started um being in the painting program full time and that was really it was so much better than I could have imagined like the professors are all so smart and so involved in their own paintings and in 
art history. And I just, I don't know, I really loved it there. And I loved doing ceramics also. It was so great that you could just go oh, through yeah. that little outdoor space. Such a great ceramics program. Yeah, it's really nice. so awesome. I had such a good time with Chris Staley. And then um, it was really cool because right before I graduated, I, wor- I was working for Anne as an assistant, Anne Shostrom. Mm-hmm. And her and John Bowman took me to their loft um, and, a few, and a few others. Uh, and there was like five of us maybe. Um, we came to work for Anne for a project. And it was just so amazing, like living in their loft in Tribeca, mm-hmm. like going to Dumbo to work on this installation every day. Um, and just really getting a feel for moving around the city, being there like at night, in the day. It was just like so exciting to me. And I actually had also come to Brooklyn with a friend around that time and stayed in Williamsburg. So I had those two experiences that kind of really geared me up for the, um, having like nights and days in the city got me ready. It kind of breaks the ice a little bit, right? Like, yeah. oh, I could be here. I yeah, because I'd come before as, I mean, I come my whole life because my uncle lives here. Mm-hmm. So we'd always come, but we'd be like uh, by Central Park. And, you know, it's very different from like an artist's lifestyle. Right. It was it was still a really good introduction to New York. And I knew that it had something for me as an artist. But these experiences in Williamsburg and in Dumbo and Tribeca were like, oh, here we are with artists. I was so, I was so excited. Yeah. Um, so right after I graduated, I moved in February. I graduated in December and moved in February. Early 2000s? 2002. 2002. And, and just moved right to Williamsburg, Metropolitan in Bedford. <laughs> Metropolitan but Bedford. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wait, which, what building? Um, it was... That's where the pool is. Um, so, yeah, across the street from that, there's like, it was above the bagel place that's not there anymore. Oh, yeah, the bagel store. Yeah. Oh, that place. Oh, you were right there. Yeah, I was right there. It was awesome. It was, like, so um, perfect, and I got to, I don't know, it was just really what fun. Is now the Apple store? Oh, my God, I guess so. Or the grocery store, maybe. But, yeah, I'm town. not sure. Well, yeah, Food Town and the Apple store underneath that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so you got, were you in there when they gave everyone the boot from that place? No, I just oh, self-led for a couple months oh, and okay. kind of got to see, like, Williamsburg and what was going on there, and it was just the perfect landing spot to, like, build some community and... Yeah, but this is kind of a long-winded way to say that it took me a really long time to go to grad school. <laughs> I yeah. kind of landed in New York, and it took a couple years to find my footing, just to find my studio that I'm still at, and to figure out how to live and work there and how to keep a job. <laughs> I just waited tables, so I have... I tried to only work three days a week. That was my goal. In the city or in Brooklyn? I usually worked... Well, at first I worked in the city, in like the East Village. I would always work there. And then I found a job in Williamsburg, so I just then worked there for three years. I have to deal with the L train. Yeah, I could just ride my bike. It was great. And I rode my bike to the city, too, but not always. Um, Yeah, but I just, I only wanted to work three days a week. That was my um, goal and waiting tables. You could make enough money to pay rent with that, so. And then your, your undergrad deal was really good. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't That's, have loans, so that was. You're not swimming in debt straight off the get go, you know. Yeah, I mean, which it's is important. Right? It's funny because I didn't know anything about money, but somehow when it was presented with me that presented to me that I would have like a debt of, I don't know, sixty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Even at seventeen years old, I was like, no, <laughs> that's not. It's not going to work with my lifestyle. I know that I'm not going to. How would I pay that back? Because I knew I, I already had been paying rent for myself, so yeah. I kind of knew 
what I was willing to do to make the rent and how much I was willing to work. And I just was like, no way. I'm not willing to work that much. I want to be in the studio. You send dad Father's Day cards every year with like, thanks to <laughs> Thanks for the deal. Yeah. Yes. Thank you for working at Penn State for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's, that's um, eases that, I'm sure, that transition into the city. Yeah. And then your uncle, so your uncle is a, is a lifer? Like a new, he's been in Yeah, Europe? pretty much, yeah, since like 1980, which that is when nice I was born. Too, because, you know, having family that are here, it's a nice little kind of like warm spot. You know, you just feel like, oh, there's other people in the family who are living here. Yeah, it was really helpful, especially in the first couple of years. I mean, now it's helpful. It's not helpful, but it's nice, it's nice. in other yeah, ways because yeah, yeah. they also have a child and... Yeah. Um, actually, my Aunt Jennifer, his wife, was just here yesterday to see the show. Nice. So, yeah, it's really sweet, and we do, like, Yom Kippur with them. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's nice. Um, but in the first couple of years, I felt very, like, freaked out being here. Things weren't happening the way I thought they were going to. I felt, like, very kind of, um, I don't know. I just, I, I had a really hard time finding ground here. Um, and then... Actually, I think around 2004, my really good friend from high school moved here to live with me for a while. And when she came, suddenly my life became better. Mm -hmm. Um, It was like I needed that kind of closeness. Like I had friends here, but I had only just met them here. And I, I wasn't really finding the painting community I wanted. But when she came, it was like a magical gift. Um, we, and then I found my loft. And we moved in there and we fixed it up together. It was like really raw, like covered in dirt. Like the floor was like an inch of dirt. Like yeah. it had been abandoned for a long time. And we really worked hard to, you know, set up a kitchen in there and a bathtub. And so that was a really special time. And that just built my confidence, like having that kind of friendship here and having then the, my dream space, which, um, I've still been able to maintain. No. <laughs> There's no water no out of the floor. <laughs> so, yeah, you can oh, probably reach the floor. <laughs> I don't think that's real. Oh, here's one. Uh, that knock a stretcher. Yeah, stretcher bar. <laughs> that's the closest thing. But yeah, so I yeah I have that space. Yeah. And um, yeah. That helps. Oh my God! It's like it like. Wait. Takes so did you buy it, or was it rent? No, I just. Or you just rented it. I just rented. Yeah, yeah. It's just like beautiful, beautiful space. So. Yeah, it's been like one layer of home, stability, love, like these like grounding forces of having a space to make work and just that comfort, that nest. That helps you deal with this city. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, and to make work, to be able to make work continually for, you know, I've been here for 15 years, so. Yeah, I had that when I first went to Penn State, I transferred from Pitt and I didn't know anyone. And, you know, I got stuck in East Halls in the dorm. My roommate was suspect. And, you know, it, I just didn't, I felt disconnected. I, in this huge school, and I didn't know a single yeah, person. Huge. Really alienating. And then when I met Gerald and when I was hung, hanging out in the BFA, that area, that seemed to be, like, the sweet spot where it's like, okay, now I can, like, I feel connected. I can oh, work here. Oh, that's great. That's really awesome. Yeah. Sometimes you need that. You, you need certain things as like a baseline for like making work and like being able to focus yeah. on doing what you're doing. If you don't have that ground floor, it can be really difficult. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So eventually you said grad school? 
Yeah, so then um, I'd had the space for a couple years, and at a certain point, I was like, I actually reached out to Helen. I was like, I'm really hitting a wall. I don't know how to push my work to the next level. I don't know how to push my career to the next level. She was like, apply to Bard, or just go to Bard. She said, go to Bard, and I was like, okay. So I applied to Bard, and I got in, and it was sort of hard to make that leap again. There was a financial leap. I knew I was going to be in debt, and this time... It was nice. Amy Silman kind of, she was like, called me on the phone and then got a student to call me on the phone. They were like, come. I was like, oh, I'm scared. And then I did it. And it was totally worth, you know, putting myself in a little bit of debt to like really, you know, go to this incredible program where I could just be challenged in so many ways. And um, after six years of being out of school, I really appreciated all of like I remember sitting in the first kind of audit you know we're in the auditorium and someone's presenting their work and I was like oh I could soak everything in I wanted I wanted it so badly I wanted every bit of information like I wanted to see everyone's work and hear I also felt very like lost like the way people were talking about work was really foreign to me and I felt like intimidated and um, actually, after the first summer, I was like, oh, I don't know if I should do this. Maybe I should go to medical school. <laughs> but I, I stuck through it. Education really is wasted on youth, isn't it? And I say that. <laughs> I say that yeah. as, because when you get older. You want it. You want, like, a, my dad was always reading history books, you know, as he got older. Oh, and, that's cool. Or just really, you as you get older, you want to know all this stuff. Yeah. But the irony of when you're in school, all you want to do is either party or find someone or yeah, or have fun and not, like, stick your nose in a book, you know? That's so true. I think maybe it was good that I waited so long because I just got to run around New York for six years mm-hmm. and see amazing, amazing music, like, three nights a week. And I was really interested in music for a long time and played music and... I just really got to like seep my body into all these experiences and now I'm in a more like you know still space of the body with having a family and mm-hmm. you know being older and I I don't really want I still you know I crave those experiences still of dancing and music but I don't need that as much like now I I am in a more cerebral space so I don't know I think it's been a it's been a nice life. <laughs> yeah, it's like the evolution, right? It's, it's this kind of an evolution of your, um, like, stages of your life or something that you don't see it coming, but it kind yeah. of happens. Yeah, you know? totally. But music, I mean, you know, like the, the title of this podcast, I mean, we talk about music a lot, so I didn't realize you were big into music. I don't feel like I am as much anymore. Well, you were. Yeah, I was. It's always in I you. feel it. Yeah, I had so many, you know, I was just, like, really, I mean, I'm still friends with these people but I don't see them as often but I had so many talented musicians around me all the time and it was like so exciting to see all their developments and I also was playing music with friends and now is this back in State College? No it was in New York. Oh okay. Yeah. Yeah. So how did that come about though? Where's the music connection? Um oh it's kind of reminds me actually of like some of the leaps I've made in my work recently into pottery like I just saw people making music and heard music that really struck me and I felt oh I want to also do that and I saw this one guy like playing music in my neighborhood and I really I liked what he was doing and then 
we just became friends and we started to like play together and that was like my first time like singing in front of someone and using a keyboard it was like so I can't explain to you what how that felt like finding my voice in that way in my physical body and being loud and screaming even and it was just such an incredible release I guess before that um, in Pennsylvania my grandma gave me her piano when I was younger and it was it's at my parents house now and I um, yeah I played it and I started to kind of I forgot what I learned from lessons, but I started to just play, like yeah. just make stuff. And that was really, that was pretty incredible to just play. And so that had been part of my life for a number of years that I could just sit down and emote on the yeah. piano. Did you grow up with a lot of music in the house? Were your parents into music? No, not really. I mean, we listened to music a little bit, like when I was a kid, records, um, but then, you know, just normal, like when I was in, like, a little older, just ra- the radio. Actually, my mom played a lot of cassettes in the car, like Patsy Cline, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we'd sing along. So, yeah, I guess there was always, it was present. Yeah. Yeah, singing in the car, definitely. <laughs> so what, the, the musician that you were interested in, what kind of music was he doing? Well, he was singing, oh, I wish I could, I never remember the name of the song. It was just a funny song he was doing a cover of, but I really loved the way he was singing it. It was my friend Zach. And he was just like, yeah, come over, let's jam. So we just started playing, and then we kind of had a band for a couple of years together. like singer-songwriter stuff? His was, but ours was not. Ours was just like freak out, like crazy sounds, synthesizers. And where did they come from? Like, where, what was your musical reference or were you just going at it you just went for it it was just there was a lot of noise music at the time so it seemed totally okay to like just make a lot of noise and mm-hmm. I don't know and just kind of like I love it I don't I never <laughs> would see you as a noise like you know like listening to the boredoms or something or I didn't listen to them but I don't know I just yeah I really loved like um kind of just making sounds in this really repetitive way and sort of subtly changing things and then just like the the emotive aspect mm-hmm. it was just so um deep for me was there anything you were listening to that you were kind of connecting to creatively with the music oh like music i was listening to at the yeah. time oh there's so many things i was listening to um like even like like white magic and animal collective and black dice and also being around those people and yeah. just being like um, really inspired by them and my friend Doug Shaw and um, I'm gonna forget people that were really important to me during this time but yeah just like really uh, I'm, I'm forgetting one I don't know just seeing no but that, that puts a reference to I mean yeah know. but before that it was other that was a little bit later I don't know it's just kind of in and out of these worlds of like loud music and um trance trancey sounds mm-hmm. and yeah it was really um and my friend like nina my friend nina is such an amazing musician and just oh so then going back to the the way it links to pottery i i just felt it in my body when i would see them play and i was like i just knew there was something there for me too which is sort of what i've i feel like i um have said to students before like that it's important to copy because if you feel it in your body it's yours you just have to find your way th- 
right. to it through your own yeah. experience of the material or the copying. Um, so with the ceramics that are in the show, that body of work was sort of similar. I had two friends, um, Jenny Lee and Brie Rue, who were doing pottery or ceramic painting sculptures mm-hmm. that yeah. I was just so like vigorously, viciously in love with. Yeah. I just was like, I want to eat these. I love them so much. It rubbed off on you. Yeah, I just wanted them. Yeah. And I did trades with both of them, but the trades took a little too long. Like I was like, I need that now. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm just gonna make my own. And you know, so I started to make works in my own way that were sort of touching on things that inspired me in their work. And you had a little experience with clay, right? I'm sure you took a class with yeah. Chris. And yeah, I took a class with Chris, and I did a lot in high school. So I'd been yeah. making strange things in Chris's class especially. The ceramics are so great, aren't they? Yeah. It's yeah, I don't know what he's doing right now. Experience. I feel like they changed a lot from what they were before. Like I remember seeing images of his newer work and being oh, like, right, right. wow, this is so different. Yeah, it's really good. Cool. <laughs> yeah, his work is beautiful. Um, so yeah, so grad school was good? It was hard. I mean, I I really struggled in so many ways. I feel like I am I wasn't like fully ready to like take the information in and process it in a way that was like uh graceful. Like it was I was very um it was difficult to hear mm-hmm. a lot of the questions and the criticisms that came my way I was sort of like I didn't know how to take it especially because my work does come from often a really emotional or like guttural and kind of not nonverbal place especially at that time like I was just making stuff and just following my body and it just was really hard for me to understand what a lot of people were talking about and I feel like you know and in distance I was able to process the information and really gain some understanding of what they were offering me and so much appreciation for what they offered and how they you know pushed me like I feel like it helped me so much and uh, brought me to so much clarity but it was really hard like emotionally it was hard and also socially it was really hard like at Bard you're upstate for two months um, and you're like kind of in a very communal environment with you know a hundred people and every day and I don't know I think it was a little bit difficult for me but it was so beautiful being upstate I loved that I loved riding my bike and Yeah, I think it did. Yeah, it was a really incredible. It was, it was what I needed. Yeah. Did you have like Amy, like supporting faculty in the process, or people that you were tight with who were teaching them? Yeah, I had Amy Selman and Yuta Kother and Stephen Westfall, Rebecca Quaitman and Rodney McMillan. I had like amazing. Yeah, that's pretty good. Angels and yeah, amazing people. It was really great. That's great. Yeah, it was good, and it was really. I had a great time with like the music sound people too and with um, amazing conversations with poets who just read my work in this way that the painters couldn't like the stories they saw in it were just like you know just like heart melting yeah well that's a good transition to this show I know we're skipping over a lot of oh no that's fine showing through the city but um, 
you know, how did the how did your work progress from that point until now? Yeah, it's so crazy to think about it. Um, it's so different. Like, do you still even after that experience where obviously you're exposed to more like critical theory or a different kind of response to the work? Like the the work is being seen from a more I don't know, like academic or critical theory place, as opposed to like your intuitive, impulsive, physical making of it, which it seems like that was a big driving force, right? It was kind of yeah, like this, that worked just like you're making it, and that's what it's about. It's like yeah. this ex- exploration. It's not overthought. It's 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 kind of worked through. You know what I mean? Kind of like yeah, almost like a more blue collared approach to the physical totally. act of making something and then responding to it after the fact. Does that still drive you, or did more over time more of that? That's different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's different. I mean, I picture like my thesis show, and it was sort of like, how much mass can you physically produce, <laughs> and like how much like muscle can you use? Like, I made this crazy crawling wooden sculptural thing covered with fabric and wall painting and so much stuff. Um, was any of that just trying not to defend yourself, but being like, look what I can do, sort of thing? Or the ambition of, of like, I'm going to wow you with all this work? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it was about. It was. I have no idea. I just, uh, I was just, I wanted to make the impossible. Like something I wouldn't make in my studio because it was too big and would just take up my studio and then yeah. I'd be stuck with it. Like I wanted to make what I was longing to see and be immersed in. Like I made this huge red floor piece that was like a wave and it was just like, ah, I got to make this big red thing. (laughs) It was really, this floor to ceiling like tower of like sticks. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah, It was really fun. Um, Yeah, I liked installation. I liked the immersion. Um, Now I'm not making that as... So when you came back, how did that shift? Or how does it progress? It, it really today? shifted over time. It shifted yeah. over time. Like I started making more, um, more like discrete sculptural paintings, and then the sculpture. It really was a break when I went to India and started studying like block print and fabric design. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came back, my paintings got flat. But then I was still, um, even then, I was still cutting into them and putting transparent parts because I felt suffocated by the flatness of the painting. I was like, no, 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 this is really. Yeah. I was like panicking, so I started puncturing them and having like a small amount of relief, and mm-hmm. that still was relief. Um, and then I made this installation in Maine that was basically the first step of these paintings. So it was like transparent fabric with the bleach painted. Mm-hmm. Um, it was scenes of Maine. I was like painting from life, like on the ground in front of all of these beautiful things. And it was the first time I was really, really trying to paint a scene from life with bleach, with bleach yeah. on bed sheets. So then I stretched or I didn't stretch them. I hung those on all these transparent materials and just hung them free hanging from the ceiling throughout the gallery. And it was like you could see through one transparent aspect into the next painting. And it was like all these layered drawings and colors it was really like so satisfying to that um you know desire to have this kind of complex and light-filled space that you would move through and get these changing images almost like a film yeah it was really fun so these paintings are basically the even though there was a lot of paintings in between this is basically the next step of that project which is just that they're stretched 
but the same materials. So what does it do? Because I, you know, some of your older work was more breaking the plane or a little more freestanding or its own object. And now these really do feel like they're in the dialogue of paintings because the stretcher and the visible stretcher and yeah. they're a little, I want to say like tidier to the grid. Oh, so much tidier. Yeah. So is that, is it intentional in the sense of that you are trying to connect it to the dialogue to painting? It's not like, um, well, in a way, I guess. So one thing happened though. One of those big paintings from that show in Maine um, I had a show at the hole and mm-hmm. Kathy Grayson was like why don't we try to stretch those paintings you made in Maine and I was like oh, like I felt like it was like <laughs> such an offense like part right. of their beauty was that they were they moved yeah and I was like okay let's try it so I just sort of gritted my teeth and tried it and it was striking it was like the softness of this flowing thing was suddenly taut and I really was interested in that and so I sort of like took that idea and kind of made the next body of work that I, these are a part of from that um, suggestion that she had made because I was so struck by the, um, I guess, the contradiction of this mm-hmm. flowing material being taught and then the frame being part of it. It really did something to me. Yeah, but you also have a kind of a parallel of the, the sort of organic flowy nature of like the leaves or the patterns or things that you're creating on it and then the sort of um, technology of of transparent material it's almost mm-hmm. going from like a long flowy flowery dress to spandex <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah totally. no but that's that's something yeah <laughs> yeah like i noticed uh recently all these people wearing tights that have the weird sections of like see-through material yeah totally and then when i came in and looked at this i it just reminded me of that because <laughs> there's some areas you could see through yeah that are selective right and then there's <laughs> other areas that aren't but i mean that's totally it's in the visual dialogue of life you know, know what i'm saying like I, that made me think of that a bit other people have mentioned that too they're like oh i think about fashion and the that exactly well yeah. fabric i mean the, you know it's the dialogue is there with materials in a way. Yeah. Because you don't traditionally see, you know, well, canvas, but I mean, you know, playing around with different fabrics as a stretched canvas or whatever. And then the stretcher bars become kind of like the body yeah. or the support that's underneath that you get peaks of here and there. Yeah. And I was noticing your stretchers and like trying to figure out, okay, are these like, is she making them? Are they made for her? They seem really they're tidy. Nice. Yeah. They're but they're not, <laughs> but they're not like engineered. No, they're based on um, my design that I made in the wood shop at Penn State with, um, I forget the man who was helping me make them. Jerry, probably back then, right? Yes, Jerry. Yeah. He taught me how to make stretcher bars ripping two by fours on a table saw. Yeah. So that's how I've made them my whole life. But then I, I had a show at Marlboro a couple years ago, and I really I wanted them to not be warped. <laughs> so yeah. I hired a professional <laughs> to make them for me based on my design. And he slimmed them down a bit. And um, yeah, so I'm still working with framers getting them made. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, like, I still like that Jerry's design. I think it's really beautiful. It reminds me of a barn. It's very simple. I don't, yeah. I don't like the commercial stretcher bar look. Um, yeah, and I think for me, like the stretcher bar finishes the piece. Like sometimes you know, my shapes are kind of weird and blobular and that bit of geometry that the stretcher bar offers is like really grounding. Yeah. 
and I like I like that it also accentuates the geometry that is in my work that I don't even see that even though I'm making these wobby things they're so like they fit on the the frames really well like my um it's they have the straightness like the like the patterns line up like everything is a little bit perfect to the square in a way that's like oh that's it's surprising seemingly organic flowiness yes (laughs) it is and maybe because when i'm bleaching even if you can barely see it there is the grid on the fabric Mm -hmm. that is an indication of you know, yeah, squareness. It's yeah, it's you can there. see it in the green and this one, just yeah. the weave. Yeah, you can see Same the thing weave. with the canvas, it has the weave. Of, but unless you prime it and sand it to oblivion and it becomes like glass, you know. I've never worked with canvas. <laughs> really? Well, that's a, probably a really refreshing, like, or you know what I mean, this thing. I mean, I love canvas, but then it's a love-hate relationship sometimes. Yeah, I might try it eventually, but... So far, I haven't. It's funny though that canvas is just the or linen, but most people use canvas, and it's just the default that everyone uses, you know, for paintings. Yeah, I always hated how thick it was and the tooth. I was like, oh, this is just so big. Like I've been working on bed sheets since Penn State. I just liked how smooth they were, and I liked the patterns. And um, you know, after India, I started the bleaching, and I just liked the weight of them, the softness. It just felt really um, in tune with what I was trying to create. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I really like the relationship to the grid and to this, the painting because, you know, if you when you see them without it, it's 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 kind of has this looseness to it, and there's a real beauty to that. But it's also just becomes its own object in a way. Like I feel like some of the dialogue gets yeah. housed in that, whereas this, it's like it's getting creator like I was thinking about a two-person show of you with these paintings and then another person who's making like super geometric whoa like fabric <laughs> panels that are like using like because I'm thinking of all that engineered fabric material that's like yeah for like gym tights or like those oh those super yeah. fluorescent you know like stripes and there was a German artist who made these kind of like prosthetic looking sculptures Back in the 90s, oh. I, I don't know his name, but they were really intriguing because it was all so like simulacra and like, um, you know what I mean? Like super yeah. kind of like fabricated and synthetic. Well, there are some artists who I really like right now who are making work that is a little, not like synthetic, but a little bit more um, geometric. Like Rebecca Ward, mm-hmm. she does really amazing things with her stretcher bars even and the fabrics she uses on top and also Jessica Sanders. I don't know her work. Really beautiful, like more minimal, geometric and kind of like staining the canvas with wax Mm -hmm. to like make it become transparent. Nice. So beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So those, I feel like I've, I've shown with Rebecca Ward before, maybe not with Jessica Sanders, Mm -hmm. but I love her work. But yeah, I like, um, the way it relates. Yeah. And artists like uh, Sarah Crowner is doing... Do you know her Oh, work? okay. Yeah, She's yeah. kind of sews together. They're more modern-looking, like modern abstractions, but yeah. they're kind of clean, and I think there's a whole different reference point to sort of design and, like, mod 
but it's interesting that they're just all sewn together. There's no yeah. painting per se. Oh, that's cool. But yeah, that play of material is really interesting. I mean, yours definitely operates in a whole different area, I think, than anyone else. Um, it just has its own feel to it. Well, I feel like for these paintings anyway, like the kind of ecstatic nature of the flower or the yeah. tree or not always as ecstatic. Some of them are more somber and more... Um, I'm thinking of this like sprawling, leaning, dying, or, you know. Uh, so the life of the flower or tree is for foremost <laughs> what right. the paintings are about. And the materials are supporting that. And I, I, for me, that's how I want it to be, is that, um, yeah, that the central image is stands above. And then there's these other concerns, these more... Um, I'm forgetting the word. It's a very simple word. Uh, f- like the formal concerns are yeah. underneath that, and they're they're supporting it, but they're not. Like the material and the formal is not what these are about. Right. The, they're about the flowers and the trees. Yeah. And my experience with those um, wonderful things in nature. Well, there's really nice sort of getting the imagery by taking away. You know what I mean? And then you're yeah. getting depth by taking away too, because the. The open parts of the canvas yeah. or the the painting or the open yes. the transparent <laughs> okay. parts of this is it creates these nice shadows too and like yeah. different depths with the shadow. Yeah. Really nice. Yeah, and it's nice actually to use the stretcher bar because then you do get that shadow yeah. and you get more of um, the transparency too. Yeah, it's a whole nother layer, you know what I mean? Even yeah. though it's only like a half an inch back there or something. Yeah, it's really it makes a difference though. Yeah. And did you find, is this the first time you've shown the ceramic with the paintings? It's the second time. I showed them this summer at um, my show at Halsey McKay. Oh, yeah. yeah. Does, do you feel like it really informs the, the other work or in a different way? Does it give you a different vibe for the show? Or? I don't know. It's, I'm, or do you see them almost, not like drawings, but, you know, like a different, a whole other set of concerns well I guess I like the way the colors relate and then also just like the shapes like um in the other room that we can't see there's this big pink horizontal painting Mm -hmm. of a tree and then on the wall perpendicular to it is like a orange black weird swashy um ceramic piece that's like a diagonal going up to the right and I think the pink painting has a diagonal going up to the left, and it's like the movement in them in, is really um, strong for me to look at, and then to see the two different, really different physical materials. Like the paintings look like they could just dissolve, yeah. And the ceramics are like neat, right. <laughs> like chunky, and like they have a weight thick. to them, yeah. Yeah, and I, I like that together. Um, yeah, it is it. I mean, I'm not really sure, like, if it's... I don't know what the optimum experience of viewing either one is, whether they should be together or not, but it is nice um, in these two exhibits to have had the experience to see both of those textures together. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So when you're making this work, are you... Well, the ceramics, do you make it in your studio, or are you making it somewhere? No, I make it in um, a ceramic studio in Williamsburg, Shoflet. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And when you're in the studio working on these, what are you listening to? Oh, the, the ceramics? No, no, these. these. Oh. The work in your studio. Like, what do you listen oh, to while you're working? Yeah, not that much. Um, 
but uh, but Phil Schaap for the other ones. Oh yeah, all the ceramics. Third flight. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, I'm awake, especially during that time. I was getting up at five with Julian every day, so I'd get to the ceramic studio by seven and listen to Phil Schaap all morning. Nice. It was pretty awesome, especially it was like right after the election, and I was just like crumbling. And he was he was just saying so many really good things that needed to be said in very subtle, sensitive ways. So I was gonna say Phil doesn't. I mean, I don't listen to Birdflight every day. I used to, but was he getting political? Mm, not explicitly. Just but, touching on oh, things. He said many very nice things. What a brilliant man, right? He's awesome. What a gift to the city. I don't. Do I people don't, even realize? Like five days a week. Sometimes he drives me crazy. I'm like, stop talking. I just want to hear some music. Yeah, my wife is always like, oh, like at first when I was listening, it was like this guy. This guy really talks. He talks so much. He does. But he was just right for those mornings. Yeah. Working on these every morning. Um, What's better than bebop for the you know at the beginning of the day to get your blood moving? You know what I mean? Yeah, and bird flight was that was really great. So yeah, so that was still is. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's still <laughs> <living> strong. <laughs> okay, I'll have to tune in. But these paintings, um, the most of the paintings I do outside, so I'm just listening to the birds, and then. I don't know. I didn't listen to a lot of music working on the collage. Sometimes I talk on the phone when I'm doing the collage part because it's so hard. The collage part is like so intense that I need something to completely distract my mind so my mind doesn't get in the way. So when I'm really stuck on these, I call a friend and I just need to talk for like an hour while I'm working on them. And for some reason, it totally does the trick. It does the trick. Yeah, it's not music. It's my friends. <laughs> yeah, that dates us and our friends that we talk on the phone still. I really? Think. Oh, you think? Headphones. <laughs> isn't, it only, isn't it only texting these days? <laughs> I don't know. I am a talker. We work it out. Yeah, I have a few friends who just, you know, are on it's speed nice dial. Once in a while. It's nice once in a while to have that. You know, I can always go to my parents for a. This is going to be at least an hour-long phone call. Oh, session. that's so nice. Yeah, yeah, I do my parents, too, my sister. Like, I really need these, like, people that will just zone out with me. Yeah. For the collages, also for my heart, but I need help. Right. Like, I need help. Set. I don't know. It's just, like, it's such a lubricant. My mind's working on this, and my hands and body can work on this. And you can talk about things in a different way than commenting on Facebook or reading news feeds. You know what I mean? Like, you can have, yeah. like, those kind of discussions and a in a really nice way that's totally different than the way we're normally sort of chirping out here and there information. And even more, more concentrated than being in person sometimes. Yeah. Because sometimes when I see my friends, you know, we're doing something. So we're getting absorbed in what we're seeing or what right. we're, what's happening in the moment. And, that, and when we're on the phone, we really just go into our psyches. Yeah. And that's... Well, it's like going to a movie for like a first date or something. You know, you're not yeah. going to get to know someone because yeah, you're just focused on the movie. Yeah, sometimes yeah. the phone call can do it. Yeah, I'm a big phone person. <laughs> the lost value of a long phone conversation. Yeah, headphones make it easy. Yeah. But do you occasionally listen to Animal Collective these days? No, or anything? I don't. I have, I have listened to them and other things from that time period. Um, do you and move really, on It sounds like you kind of move on. Well, I am not sure what to listen to now because I know my friends, those friends, are making new music. I'd love to hear it. I'd like to hear what's new in that world. But it was such a kind of esoteric world of collecting sounds and 
people like it was also when you could download music from the internet for free so my friends would just have all this stuff up or musicians i knew and i would just suck all of it off yeah, of the yeah. computer and audio like, galaxy was amazing oh I or didn't napster i guess did you do napster I, no i did something else that i can't remember what it was but, it but was, there was we lived through that brief moment it was like the wild west where you could download anything suck anything off of there it was great free. yeah so I had to, like I still have all that stuff, but I I need like I want like more current music, and I would go out dancing, so I'd hear like just amazing DJs mixing everything. Oh my god, music that was just so beautiful, and I don't know how to find it anymore because I'm not in that world. Yeah. Um, These yeah. days you can get DJ sets online too, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Lots of streaming radio. Like, did you ever listen to Lot Radio? No. You know, it's that little shipping container down by McCarran Park, and it's a radio station, like an oh. online radio station, and cool. really great people go in there from all over. They stop in, and they do DJ sets. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Now I listen to Joni Mitchell. I have a Joni Mitchell record, <laughs> and a Jana Hunter record that I listen to. <laughs> Those are like my two records. That's it? You're in that zone? Well, Joni Mitchell, she's so great. Like this... Hydra, I think is the record I have. I'm not sure if that's how you say it, but it's like, whoa. I never, I mean, I've heard Joni Mitchell, Mitchell know that she's amazing at what she does. I never got deep into. Oh, I should try again. Her poetry is like so beautiful, like, oh, so, so profound. Yeah, I love her and Jenna Hunter. So like, that'll make you sing and dance. Mm -hmm. Those are two that I listen to. And what else? That's kind of, I listened to a Whitney Houston album <laughs> earlier in the year. She's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So, and what do you have coming up? Is there anything you'd like to share with, besides the show now, which, how long is this show up? This is up till November 4th. Um, this was kind of my big push this year. This show and my Halsey McKay show were both, I was working towards them both for the last, like, couple years. Yeah. So, this is, now it's sort of like... Um, exhale? Exhale and... I don't know, maybe just play around in the studio, see what different materials emerge. And yeah, I just saw Pat Steer. Yeah. So mind blowing. Like, just, oh my God, I can't believe those paintings. I couldn't leave. (laughs) I couldn't pull myself away. It's not, you know, I I don't get up to these parts as much as I used to. Yeah. Actually, almost never, to be honest. It's hard to get people to see (laughs) I used to work at Macy's. That was my first job, going doing windows at Macy's. Oh, that's great. That's so fun. Yeah. um, Well, (laughs) it was, I mean, it was cool, but 34th Street. Oh, yeah. That's a nightmare. Like, the commute, it was brutal. And I used to, I joke around that I'm allergic to anything north of, like, 32nd Street. I can't do oh, it anymore. that's pretty generous of you. Most people say 14th. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. I, I, I'll dabble in Chelsea and Murray Hill. Oh, yeah, Murray Chelsea, Hill. that's true. Oh, Murray Hill is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I just don't get up to these parts as, as much as I... In the Whitney, being downtown now, too, yeah. even more of a draw down there. So it's nice to come up here. and Yeah, it's and, so great up here. I've been coming up, like, every week because of the show. And when I was installing, I was here, like, every day. And it was, like so beautiful to walk around up here in the park yeah. and it's not that hard to get here it's no a I six train <laughs> my the I never used to go to Central Park at all like for yeah, nothing and then my son was into Pokemon Go so we go there all the time that's <laughs> <laughs> so cute because it's kind of a great place to go but and I was like oh wow Central Park is beautiful it's so beautiful it's yeah. really nice I have to take Julian to the zoo I heard it's really good yeah that's what the you know 
kids in the city, that's what they do for you. They get you out to those places that you'd never... Like, I would never go to some of these places I go to. Yeah. Especially when he was younger, you know. Like, we would go to all these different places. And, you know, it, it's, it just opens your eyes up to a different side of things. It's such a different world. I remember even when he was born, like, being, like, the books, children's books. I was like, oh, my God, I'm supposed to read this? Like, this is so cheesy. <laughs> or, like, the songs. Like, I was like, oh, do, do, do. Like, and now I fully embrace wholeheartedly yeah, yeah. singing him every <laughs> song I can think of and reading every book with, like, gusto. Right. Yeah. But it really took, it took a while to, like, get used to it. Like, I was like, I don't know how to do this. this Reconnect is... or with some sort yeah. of childhood. Yeah, it's once you get into it. <laughs> and you then are. you read, like... Kids' books are amazing. Yeah, There's some so, of them. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's tons of not-so-good ones. And some that you're like, really? They gave this person... This is an illustrator that they gave a kid's book to? And, but some are so, so good. good. Yeah, I know. It's really, And I really think about all the thought they put into them. And also, it seems like everyone's working collaboratively. Like, they have, like, certain fruits and vegetables and objects that they're all presenting to the child throughout all these hundreds right. of books. They're like, you will learn about the banana, right. <laughs> the pear, the this apple. This is good for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like the truck and the duck and the, you know, all these, everyone's like, these are the things, and the goat and the sheep and the sounds they make, like, these are the things you will learn by the time you're a one or two years old. It's a, yeah, collective consciousness of like, it just, it, it stays the same. It just migrates into like Pokemon and FIFA 17 or whatever. You know? I don't even know about those yet, but I, I guess I'll get there. Yeah, take your time. <laughs> it goes so fast, right? Yeah. Yeah, it goes really fast. All right, well, thanks so much for taking the, <laughs> Thank you it was so great much. to see the show. It looks great. Oh, thank it's you. It's such a nice Thank space. you for coming up here. And um, yeah, thanks for, for sitting down and talking for a while. That's Thank good. you, Brian. Sound and Vision is produced, recorded, and facilitated by myself, Brian Alfred. The introduction was recorded by Michael Lovett of the band Niska Lines. You can also catch him performing in his band Metronomy. The intro-outro music is by Sean Seymour from the band Lullatone. Please subscribe, rate, and review Sound and Vision on iTunes. You can find studio snapshots and additional information at soundandvisionpodcast.com. You can find more information about my own paintings and animations at paintchanger.com. Thanks for listening and supporting this podcast, and thanks to all the artists who share their stories with me.